But what will get me and my skin in the game is I can tell you the number of times where I freaked out starting when I was 16, not being able to speak in public, mm. how I personally went through that and all the mistakes and the boo-boos that I made, uh, whether it's online presentations or not. I'm not there to please. I'm actually there to show them a vulnerable side. Hi, I'm Michelle Hon. I've built half a million dollar business from home that offers the financial freedom for me to do what I want whenever I want. And most importantly, it allows me to be present for my children whenever they need me. And let me tell you that hard work and hustle are not essential to your success. So how do you build a purposeful business from home and impacting thousands from around the world? This is The Chill Mom Boss Show. Welcome back to the Chill Mom Boss Show. I'm your host, Michelle Horn. And in today's episode, I talked to Dawn Fu, who is the founder of Life Skills for Hope. And we talked about how to master powerful communications, specifically in presenting presentation. And what are some of the common factors that are stopping women entrepreneurs and women executives from wanting to present, from wanting to communicate effectively in front of a group? There are many things that I've learned through my conversation with her, and I hope you would too. All right. Hi, Dawn. Welcome to the show. And uh, today, you know, uh, we will be talking about mastering powerful communication. And I think it's so valid because apparently public speaking is the number one fear that people have more than death, right? That's That's a study that show. So um, yeah, let's teach people, our audience, how they can master powerful communication. Thank you, Michelle. So really appreciate that. So funnily, when you said that, uh, my mind was brought back to the study. I think this was maybe early 2000s, but it's still prevalent today. 92% of people would rather die than speak in public, right? So the term they use is glossophobia. I have a lot of fun whenever I ask people to guess what the term is. It's just a fear of public speaking, not a fear of glossy surface, okay? Uh, Mm -hmm. So with that, then it got me thinking, because uh, I've started working with uh, women and men, I think more than 25 years ago, when it comes to uh, workplace communication skills. So in part, that is written, but more so it's always about presentation skills, right? So I found that um, many people are very shy to step up because maybe they feel that the spotlight is on them, they clam up, they feel that, you know, the focus is on me, I have to walk away giving people some mind-blowing information, but that's not always true, right? So I think, interestingly, if you look at that, I wanted to tackle looking at uh, powerful presentations from a very intimate and personal way. And that really was about marrying my interests and experience with uh, presentation skills with emotional intelligence. Mm. So emotional intelligence uh, is actually made out of two large pillars. Most people focus on interpersonal emotional intelligence which means we get to do better in our jobs because we have better rapport, we're able to relate to others, we can communicate with them. But we forget that actually at the foundation of it all, what's most important is intrapersonal communication. So in short, that is really things like your uh, your awareness of, of self, your self-esteem and your self-talk. So without that being addressed, and you take that into the public presentation space, most of the time my clients end up feeling like they are fraud. So that's the imposter syndrome coming in. Mm. Right? So that was my motivation because when I work with clients, I realized that many of them are professionals. They come with years, in fact, decades of experience. And why is it that there's this huge stumbling block, I know, apart from the usual uh, techniques, right? So that's like maybe your voice control, your nonverbal cues. At the core of it, there's something that always needs to be addressed, Michelle. 
And that's really a maybe feeling like a fraud, feeling like mm. they're not good enough, you know, that they don't deserve to be on that stage. Um, so that's what got me thinking, right? Especially because in recent times, I've worked more with uh, women who are both executives or entrepreneurs, and it's such a waste when we don't get that. I, I think you are you're really prolific at that, right? Getting us to speak our truth as we build our business. And I don't know, I mean, would you agree that many of us are held back because we don't feel that what we have to say is powerful enough or impactful? Yeah, you're right. I, I still get that sometimes. <laughs> okay, I'm confident to speak. Exactly. It's like, oh, they want me there. And I wonder what they see in me. Ah, I still think of that, on. right? And, hmm, all right, I, I, I think I'm going to talk about this. And while you're preparing that, is I wonder this would be good enough. What yes. would they think, right? And then there's always that fear that I'm handling in my slide now. Okay, <laughs> I'm going on stage now. I wonder if it's, you know, everything's okay. I think, well, is that, do you think that's just um something that we just have to overcome or is it just, you know, human nature? Because I like the fact that how you're saying, you know, people need to um, learn how to powerfully communicate your, their presentation mm-hmm. skill and how you are actually teaching them in a way that's more personal to come yes. back to their emotional intelligence. And tell that's us, right. why is that important? Okay, so in short, it is really looking at it inside out. Right? So some people will tell you, like, you fake it till you make it. Uh, I respect that school of thought. I think it has worked for some. But most people will tell me, you know, Dawn, I just want to keep it real. Right? I don't know how to fake it till I make it. And then they will come and tell me that I will do this, I will present at this talk and speak when I have XXX or YYY, when you have achieved something. But it doesn't work that way. I'm a firm believer is that go out there and do that. Even if you trip, right? Yeah, and you make a small little mistake or boo-boo, there's always room for improvement the next round. Right? So looking at inside out, which means it gives us the inner confidence. I like to tie that to the point that you say, you know, is that something we'll ever get over with? Not quite, but we can get on friendly terms with it. So, you know, uh, I come from a communications background. Uh, so when we deal with the crisis communications and you look at a negative situation, we all know in the field that you cannot get from negative to positive uh, immediately. The best you can do is neutralize it, right? To work with that space. So interestingly, I did some study on uh, this imposter syndrome in Michelle. And guess what? There's nothing new. It was founded in a paper that two clinical psychologists worked on. And both of them were very high achieving women in academics. So they started feeling like frauds themselves. And they thought that, oh, maybe it's just me and I feel like that. They went out then in, you know, in the field of education and they started looking around at women and these are highly accomplished women uh, with PhDs uh, who are doing further studies in universities. And they found a few things that were interesting. Like number one, women tend, tended to publish fewer academic papers than their male counterparts, even though they're just as qualified. And this thought kept circling in their mind, like, do I deserve to be here? And one of the findings was so interesting. It actually said, maybe I got into this graduate program by mistake. Yeah, it's so funny, right? If you think about it. So then if you go back, and so there was then the absence after 1978, they found certain things in their research, but only I think early 90s, then it came up again. But the point is this, we don't ever get completely over it. And I think that the fun part is that when we feel that way, uh, that we are uh, perhaps feeling like a little bit of a small fraud, it also means that we're playing at higher stakes. We're going out of our comfort zone to do something, right, that is good for us, but uncomfortable. And that's where the magic happens. Because if we are, I mean, fine, if we want to bubble wrap ourselves and stay in comfort zone, right, I, I think we can. But that's probably not why your listeners are also tuning in or people want to, to come to you for coaching or to me. So there's something that's magical that's just waiting to happen as we inch closer and mm-hmm. we get closer to uh, you know, dealing with and accepting imposter syndrome. 
Hey there, podcast listener. Before we continue with our episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about an incredible opportunity for all the moms out there. Are you a mom who dreams of starting or growing your own business? Well, I have something exciting to share with you. Momentum, the business coaching membership designed specifically for moms building businesses like you. Momentum is the secret sauce that will help you take your business to new heights while balancing the demands of motherhood. Imagine having an experienced business coach and seasoned entrepreneur. I don't just teach business, I actually own businesses, so I know what I'm talking about. You'll have me month after month, right by your side, guiding you every step of the way. Whether you're just starting out or already running a business, Momentum will equip you with the tools, strategies, and support you need to succeed. Our coaching sessions and interactive workshops will have you refine your business plan, master marketing techniques, and develop the mindset of a successful entrepreneur. But here's what sets Momentum apart. It's not just about coaching, it's about being a part of a vibrant community of mompreneurs who understand your journey and share your ambitions. Connect with like-minded mom bosses, exchange ideas, and collaborate on exciting projects. Together, we can achieve more. So are you ready to turn your dreams into reality? Don't let motherhood hold you back. Join Momentum today and take charge of your entrepreneurial journey. Visit our website at mamboss.academy forward slash momentum and sign up now. It's time to unlock your potential, make an impact and show the world what moms are capable of. Join the Momentum Coaching Membership and empower yourself for success. That's all for our quick break. Now let's get back to our amazing podcast episode. So do you have any tips to, you mentioned just now, instead of going <laughs> from negative to positive and just neutralizing it and going yes. from the inside out? So what sort of maybe, you know, a couple of mantra or things that people <laughs> could do to just immediately right. neutralize it if it ever yes. comes up? For sure. So this is a very fun tool that I use. Uh, it's a very simple one. It's called FVO, Fact Versus Opinion. Right? It's just very simple. So I like it when I work it through with my clients. So we will come in with all those thoughts and then just like in your case, right, Michelle, if you ask yourself and you are being paid to, to speak at all these like corporate stages, when we look at all our thoughts that attack us, right, when we mm-hmm. think we're imposters in this way and that way, perhaps the great thing to do is for us to just sit down, list all our thoughts down. It can be very simple just on a piece of paper or even you know, using our mobile phones. Or if you're, the listeners are into like Excel sheet format, go ahead, right? Draw something and just like, you know, have fun with it. I'd like you to list in terms of all your thoughts, right? All of them down and then categorize them into what you believe is a fact and what is an opinion. And why do I say that? A fact means that it's evidence. So you could have graduated from certain schools or not have graduated. That's fine. But your personal career path or your experience professionally cannot be denied that it is a fact. So there must be a reason why you're invited to share on something and to, uh, to make a presentation. Even if it's not academic, it comes from real life experience, it's even better. So for example, um, uh, a businesswoman who is going to teach culinary skills, right, or going to sell on that, uh, we don't always get people who are trained by Gordon Ramsay or at some culinary school. But the fact is, if you've been cooking tirelessly and lovingly for the past 
um, I don't know, five to seven years for your family, you will be the go-to person for a mom or, you know, anyone who just wants to cook up healthy, simple, delicious meals. So that's lived-through experience. That's a fact. No one can take it away from us. An opinion, on the other hand, would be like, I'm not good enough. I don't think my food is great. So when I work with my clients, I will ask them certain things like, um, so I had a, a client who was a home chef. She ran this uh, very exclusive dining experience. You won't believe this, Michelle. People pay her top dollar uh, to have like to host for a party of eight. Mm. And you know what she's worried about for opinion? I'm so afraid that I'll make people sick with my food. <laughs> right. Mm. right. So now we can smile about it. And um, I, I say this with full respect for her, but I got her thinking. I said, but tell me what do you do in this exclusive dining experience? She actually designs a menu for them down, you know, taking into account their considerations for their guests, what they love to eat. And the budget is usually fairly high because of that. Mm. But imagine, and I asked her to recount all the work that she did. So fact versus opinion. Yeah. So the opinion part then can be challenged, right? Or at least you can neutralize it. So ask yourself, so has anybody fallen sick or died of food poisoning? No, no. <laughs> you know, you don't have to worry about that because it's an extreme. Mm. And the likelihood of that happening is almost oh, not never. But of course, if she wants to uh, make it scalable and run a catering business, then you need to go for the respective, uh, you know, food safety handling or that. But that's not her point, at, uh, her problem at this point, right? So you see what I mean? So fact versus opinion. It has worked tremendously well, even though it's a very simple litmus test. Mm. Right? So, and the thing is this, so whose opinion counts most, right? When we go into an audience, let's say if it's 10, 30 or 300 people, likely is that rule of thumb is you probably only reach out to 30% of them. So we can't be taking a poll well, it's not like running for elections, huh? Where you <laughs> maybe it is, I don't know, the majority. Uh, whose opinion do we do we care for the most? Most of the time you think it's the audience. Well, then serve the audience, right? Mm. You gotta be in there to serve the audience and tell them something rather than pleasing them. Mm. Uh, and I always believe that that's important. Uh, but it takes a lot of courage, right? But something simple like that. So not quite a mantra, but a simple exercise that people can get out to do. All right. That's yeah, that's useful. And it's just an opinion. It's, it's not yes. a fact. And we shouldn't let that sort of hold us back, right? And I think when you... Right. Because the truth down, is many of us, yeah. And especially if you could see that the, the facts are more than the opinion. Yes. But sometimes it's funny how people could be so crippled. Yes. Right? By that one fear, even though yes. they have all the reasons not to. And I, I, I love that, you know, if we can just tackle getting over feeling like a fraud that in itself is a good starting point to become a better communicator and become better at presenting what else should people know about um, being able to um, deliver a good presentation that's right but before that uh just to add on a little bit about yeah yeah great that's not to say that we also disregard that because opinions are massively uh, useful that's for reflection so uh, why do we say that? So supposing uh, if I give a speech, right, and, and then uh, as a member of the audience and you give me your opinion on how it went, I would love for it. Because if you're giving me specific comments in your opinion, what I could have done better, I can then work on that, right, to improve on my presentation. Also, if people are commonly expressing a certain opinion, maybe there is some truth in there that we need to unearth a little bit. Right. So then it takes a lot of self-awareness and reflection then to segregate and sift them out. Uh, which is why I do the work I do, right? So mm-hmm. from there, I think that is. But another point that I would like to work on is a huge one when it comes to presentation skills that most people don't think about, and that's about people-pleasing. So we're quite familiar with the idea of people-pleasing, but in the context of presentation skills, right, not quite so. 
Now, what is the issue when we go in with a presentation with the intent to please our audiences? Uh, the issue is we might end up thinking that the audience is happy. Okay, I said something that made them happy. But there's no real takeaway. Mm. Right? And it's just, it probably might come across as a little bit vanilla. Uh, okay, no offense to those who like vanilla right, as an ice cream flavor. <laughs> but if we're out there to make an impact and move the needle as a call to action, we're probably not going to get very, uh, very far with our audiences. Mm. Right? The whole idea about people pleasing is that we value and prioritize uh, someone else's opinion, again, back to that, right, more than ours. Mm. Okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, with a certain group of uh, clients that I work with are uh, Gen Z, okay? So Gen Z are all about street credibility or street cred, as they would tell me. Mm. So when I coach them for presentation skills and I get them to sit, if I wanted to please them, uh, or rather I would opt for something more generic and give them some feedback, you know, loosely speaking, this is how you can do that. But presentation skills, you don't veer off very far from what I contact non-verbal cues, your mm. pace of speaking, your volume of speaking, mm. how loud of said. There is something more that needs to be said. So with this particular group, right, I know I can push it a little bit further. I will always get them, right, to think before I serve them, uh, you know, how, what do I mean by that? I get to reflect on two things. I'll get them to come in and then tell me one-to-one -one in consultations, how do you think you fare in that presentation? Now, that's a big one, huh? because most of us don't want to listen to our voice. We don't want to play back the presentation real and find out. It's a big thing. Then I get them to tell me, what is one thing that you would like to do differently if you had a chance to redo this? Michelle, this group, not just Gen Z, but most people who are willing to work on self-enhancement and improvement, they are amazing. Mm. So regardless of the grade that they're given or what, right, you can come in with that perspective that, okay, so if I want to say this, you know, I realize that I was maybe pleasing the audience by saying this, I should have done that. Mm. So for me, when I come in, then I go straight to the point. I'll tell them, you may not like what I have to say, but I won't be doing my job well if I didn't tell you the truth. Right? So I jokingly tell them, do you want the light version or do you want the full works? <laughs> don't light, <laughs> there's like, don't full works. So I give them the choice. Right? If they want to hear it from me directly, I would go you know, really straight out to, to list down things that can help them improve. But if they opt for the lighter version, I respect that too. Uh, I, I wonder, what's the percentage that opted for the light <laughs> version and what's the percentage that opted for Dawn? Light is almost 40%. Um, and then oh, the right. There are people yeah. who don't want to hear it. Want to hear it. They want to hear that, Michelle. So it could be I could open up like maybe 10 consultation slots, right? And I'll get mm -hmm. them to come in. And this is me taking the time to... You'd be surprised that only 20% actually show up in auction. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. That's oh, yeah, because you are the... <laughs> With this. Hey, I'm open here. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, just just let's do a catch up. Let's see where you're at, and they so don't you feel good. Twenty percent, because sometimes, and actually, that comes true with my coaching with you too. There are some <laughs> things that I know on point. Uh, after you know the the almost two years, uh, I know, but I need to hear that. But you know, just showing up and listening mm. to you, and I know that you're not here to please, you know, to, but you're just telling it. Like it is. In fact, I really have a lot of laughs that I stifle when I hear you during our group coaching because I know that that is really so incisive and someone else needs to hear that. So that's the beauty of it. When we show up, we shouldn't show up to people, please, for the audience. Mm. We should be able to tell them something. Why? I will always tell my clients then I don't want to have wasted your 15, 30 or 45 minutes with me Yeah, because you could easily get that from someone else. Mm. And I'm a firm believer that we should always surround ourselves with someone who can tell us the truth. Mm. Yeah, as if it's not your spouse, lah, huh? but <laughs> you know, <laughs> can get you in the area of work. But 
have a coach or someone around you who's willing to tell you, you know, this is an area you could do better in. Why not you think about that? So mm. people pleasing and mastering powerful communication is a big one. Usually because it has its roots in, in the fact that, uh, I mean, the, the research will bear it out that women somehow because of our upbringing, we tend to be a little bit more concerned with how others see us. So mm. the people pleasing kick in. Then the next natural extension right, of the question will be, can we ever stop people pleasing? No, I don't believe so. But I think we can be very mindful about it. What are the traits that we can perhaps notice in our presentation skill that shows that we are, in fact, people-pleasing? I think when it comes to... So this has a link to audience analysis and awareness. Mm -hmm. So depending on the states of the presentation, right? Usually when you go in for presentations, you think, okay, um, so if I'm hired to do a topic that is really specific for the client, well, they're paying us to do a talk, right? We don't want to go in there and ruffle too many feathers as well. But in between... If we are able to personalize certain stories or takeaways such as we apply the knowledge in a real way, I think that would be good because we're not about pleasing someone or telling them that they should adopt exactly steps one to five, like how we've done it, but we're giving them a prompt, right? Conversely, if you're going there to people, please, you would say, here are just the seven steps that you can do. And then we leave it as that. There's no skin in the game, Mm. right? We're not really vested in it very personally because we don't feel that we have something to say that is... Um, that someone will, will get to know us a little bit more in terms of our vulnerability because I don't want to, I stay in the safe zone. So for example, I could go into a talk, right? I can easily talk about the five types of imposter syndrome. Mm. Uh, that's all for research, right? Which are very yeah. sanitized, very clean. Uh, mm. And before you go, you do this. But what will get me and my skin in the game is I can tell you the number of times where I freaked out starting when I was 16, not being able to speak in public, mm. how I personally went through that and all the mistakes and the boo-boos that I made, uh, whether it's online presentations or not. I'm not there to please. I'm actually there to show them a vulnerable side of me, but within boundaries that I, I can define, mm. right? Because then it's that journey. So I suppose the vanilla, the light version uh, and, ah. and, the, and the full works. Yeah. So, right. but... It, it, yeah, it takes some um, planning and also the comfort level of the presenter in order to get into that. I, I've never seen it as that way, like where when people don't go deep, when this is go, you know, surface level stuff, and that's because they are people pleasing. It's good to know. But yeah, let's come back to your story, which you yes. were saying that when you were 16 and you could not talk, what, what happened there and what led you to become Dawn, whom... She today. is today. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Okay. Tell us. So interestingly, um, I think when I was growing up as a teen, uh, so self-esteem was a big issue, right? So for me, I didn't know then uh, that I was always, there was a reason because I was so emotional. You know, when you're growing up as a teenager, all these awkward moments uh, and you feel like you're not good enough, you're not good looking enough, you know, um, you don't know who your yourself, you don't know what your self-identity is, right? In short. And I think coupled with the fact that, um, I didn't know I had ADHD then, right, Michelle? So I don't claim that there's a superpower. In fact, not at all. But I was very sensitive to rejections or, you know, mm. emotional fluctuation moods. I happen to have classmates who are all pretty good looking and tall as well. So I always felt a little bit out of sorts because I, I'm quite pretty. Huh? So I'll tell you this very interesting example and then go ahead and, and laugh at it. Back in the days, how old was I then? This was 20, how old am I now? Many decades ago <laughs> in Singapore. <laughs> buses right at that time you don't have the exit buttons or the call buttons right strategically located now on the rails the uh, buttons yeah. were all at the top of the bus oh well, oh okay well, okay then. so they all were right. right smack in the center of where the handrails at the top are so uh, can you imagine right being a, a, a teenager in the awkward gangly stage then there were times where i couldn't reach 
Okay. Press the button. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. I always pray and wish like the next stop that I'm about to alight, right? Say, please let someone uh, press the button so that I don't have to feel like uh, I'm short of something. Okay? Mm. So I always grew up thinking that if only I were taller, mm. that really affected my self-esteem and my core. Right? As a result, I was very conscious about what people thought of me. Mm. I was afraid that they weren't ready to hear what I wanted to say. Mm. Right? So I was, uh, it was not a good place to be in. I didn't even dare to order food in public, huh? Yes, it was that bad because my mom would complicate things for me. So she would tell me, like, go to the chicken rice store and I want this, I want that and all. And I would be so fretful. I'll be like, what if I forget? And you know, hawkers are not the kindest people when you give Oh, comments. yeah. They, they'll be like, because uh, they, they, they want you to order really quickly and just move on. They want to serve the next one. So they're not right. very so, patient. Yeah, that's right. So it's in their line of business, like, I don't know, Chinese, right? You know, what you want and then move on and you get the order wrong, you either get scolded there or you come back yeah. and get scolded. <laughs> so to me, those two were litmus tests, right? The bus uh, experiment and going to order food. So I was a struggling communicator. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, how do I get better at this? Mm. And then one day my teacher told me, uh, why don't you, you try and uh, audition for the school musical? I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> kidding me? Do you want me to just die on stage, right? Uh, on stage? So I was of a very pretty famous girl's school that had, you know, all these musicals and on. I didn't. Until mm. a classmate told me, uh, she was very kind. And she actually told me, she said, Dawn, don't feel that you are short of anything. Because I'll tell you this, when you speak at the table, when we all hang out after school, people listen. Right? God bless her heart. Right? Her name is Sharon. I still remember. She's my opposite, tall. You know, and I told myself, I said, why did Sharon say that? And then mm. I thought back and I realized that hey, it's quite true. When I speak, even though I'm small, people do listen. Mm. So I could, no, I think that was the genesis of me starting out to be very aware that, so what if I'm emotional? I can deal with it. I can regulate. But now I know what it was. It was just, um, and it's a real thing, right? It's a um, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. Okay, you could, those of the listeners who are interested can go and find out a bit more. But people with ADHD tend to have that uh, in extreme. Mm. So little things, we tend to be a bit hypersensitive. But I didn't know that back then. But I started speaking out slowly. And I thought, uh, it's okay, maybe I do have something to say, but I'll think very carefully because whenever I speak, I want it to be, I didn't know then it was powerful communication, right? But I think mm -hmm. I wanted to say things that matter, should it come from me. Mm. So I was very happy to do that. And then lo and behold, after I ended up studying English in school and in, in uni. And my first job, they offered me a chance to become a public prosecutor. What? <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I did English language in, in university, but this thing was interesting. And I thought, don't I have to be a lawyer to qualify for that? My yeah, grades weren't there. Exactly. Yeah, so that was an amazing thing back then. <laughs> I sound like a fossil. No. Back then, they could gazette you under certain statutes in, in government, right? And I was attached to Ministry of Manpower. And, mm. you know, I went to Attorney General's Chambers. I had a crash course. I became a public prosecutor, Michelle. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't know I, that about you. Okay, oh well. Okay, that was no, so fun. Go on, go I on. just really love that because even though I wasn't legally trained, yeah, but it's still within the uh, okay, what is uh, accepted now, so it wasn't anything illegal there. It's so much fun learning about myself and going to court. But one thing I realized I'm too emotional to attend court <laughs> because <laughs> you're the so first emotionally time, invested in the case. Yes, makes sense, right? I'm an emotional intelligence coach as well. So I'll tell you what happened. The first time I went to prison to interview a witness, oh, I had to hold in all my emotions because I knew that he was innocent, but he was kind of like framed in oh. a way, like not framed, but his there were bigger mechanics going on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But but I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm prosecuting on behalf of the state, right? So where was there's no place for that emotion? So when I came out of the Queenstown Remand Prison, that's how long ago it was. I cried, you know, 
Because when I visited the prison, I saw the families waiting, uh, waiting to see their family members. When I went into the prison, I saw the conditions for myself. And the second time was when I was in court. This was the eve of Chinese New Year's Eve, many years back. So we were about to ask the, the judge to uh, pass sentencing, uh, the punishment for this particular client. And suddenly his wife walks up to us right, and tells us in Chinese, like, uh, lawyer, lawyer, uh, my husband actually offend, uh, made the same offense right, a few years back. So me and my co-prosecutor colleague, right, we just froze because we couldn't really find the records of that. Yeah. So someone had not done the paperwork in detail. But that also meant that because it's a repeat offence, her husband would have to go into jail because, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. stronger uh, penalty. Yeah. And his parents were there, his elderly parents. And to me, I felt, you know, it's Chinese New Year, you know, that kind of thinking mm-hmm. and all. I just felt really sad. So that's when I know right after that, I wanted to cry also that this job is not for me. <laughs> Even though but you're I, really good at it, it's just the emotional side of things. Yeah. So I would do things like join raids, you know, with uh, uh, immigration uh, immigration side and the police uh, team, and then we had a lot of fun. So we we prosecuted. Uh, um, I mean, people who were deserving, you know. But it was really about convictions. Uh, mm. And if you talk about court uh, presence, that form of communication, right? What you need to really be very aware of the power dynamics mm. uh, because you have to be very mindful as an officer of the court. But that was the fun part. Yeah, you got to be convincing and articulate without taking up too much space, really, right? Too long. Yes. Yeah. Too long-winded, right? So, yeah. That. <laughs> yes. And then after that, I was uh, I was given a chance to to do communications at MediaCorp. Again, I wasn't trained for that. And in uh, interestingly, because I joined the radio arm, and radio is filled with people who are just verbally oh, prolific. Yeah. Right. So I learned from the best, and really, I learned by observing them. Mm. Uh, so these were the best names then in the industry who were paid top dollar, thousands per night uh, if, per event. And then I observed what did they do right. But one thing was very clear. All of them had a signature style and a personality, right? And that came because they had some skin in the game as they presented. They were never vanilla. But mm. of course, it's not overnight. It took years of experience for them, you know, to, to really be able to hold that audience and to be able to uh, command that attention as they presented. But even the people back then, this is like management and all, many of them who were no longer in the public eye, uh, but were taking leadership positions, they had a certain finesse as they presented to. Uh, so I think this was great for me to, to learn. Uh, so yeah, when we have corporate events, they would tell me, uh, please go hire a master of ceremony and MC to yeah. host event. But guess what, Michelle? Who would want to come, right, and MC in a, a hall or a, a, a hotel a ball? DJs and names who were yeah. there. So guess who ended up doing the job? You? Yes. Okay. All right. So for smaller oh, events, yeah, the scariest thing that you could possibly yes. do. Yeah. So with smaller events, I mean, these were internal like town hall sessions and all. I did that. You know, for bigger events, of course, with dinner and dance, then I had to engage someone else and really like work with them. How did to you overcome. get over it? How are you able to constantly put yourself in, I mean, just listening to your story, out of comfort zone? That's the thing. I always saw that Remember what I talk about, the imposter syndrome, right? So I said, mm. I felt like a fraud, but I thought the fraud can only get friendlier with the fraud within if I actually grab the opportunity. So I never say no prematurely. I actually mm. go out there and I give it my best shot. And I saw everything as an adventure. Mm. And I thought, you know, if I could... So here's the twist. I always try to make it more worthwhile for the audience. I realized that once I took the attention off myself and how yes. good I was supposed to sound, you know, how I should look and all, there was no way I was going to compete and win on that note. And I wasn't interested in it. I just wanted to show up as myself and go like, okay, this is me. This is how I sound. 
And I was so grateful because I had bosses also who believe in me and they came up and gave me good feedback. And others who would tell me, you've got a radio voice. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> you know, that's why we are... Beyond in, in the show. <laughs> so yes, yes, I had offers to, to do that. But uh, there's just something about going on live radio that can make me a little bit more panicky. But I never really pursued that. But I enjoyed it. So mm. every time I go out, I, I went out and then I noticed how people were, you know, and these are broadcasters, right? So they don't even need a microphone sometimes in the room, right? That is uh, maybe like a hundred or more people because that voice control and all, it's just amazing. Wow. Yeah, so I really glean my learning from participant observation uh, and then get feedback. Right? So they will tell me things like, oh, you spoke really quickly or this or that, or maybe you could pause for effect. I just got better. So I have my own standards of like, what was the fact versus opinion, right? And then mm. before I knew it, yeah, the number of events that I started hosting for internally just grew and there was a certain ease. I still feel that butterflies in the stomach thing. I still feel like that. Uh, then it was also because part of comms, I had to work with my um, senior management to get them to speak. So that's when I realized that everybody's style is different. How do we impact them? Some people work very well with music, <laughs> well-intended uh, pauses. Some others not so. So mm. the natural style of communication is also very important, uh, Michelle. Why do I say that? Not everybody is going to be comfortable on stage. Mm. Right? So they don't want to take the limelight. They don't want to. But at least we must help them make sure that they're likable. Right, so that whatever message comes and rolls off their tongues, people will find it credible. So, uh, so looking at senior management, for example, if you want them to take the stage and address like the, the teams, uh, some of them are media personalities, so they have that natural flair, mm. right? And they already have the clout. But some mm. others, they're more administrators, uh, and you know, uh, than they are personalities. So what happens then? We can't quite force them, right? right round peg and square hole kind of thing. We'll get them to just basically reach out. Um, so the communication is ongoing. It's not just one presentation and all that, but people get a sensing of the style and then we have to scope it uh, according to their, their profile. Uh, because, you know, for some, for example, the, the way you make your grand entrance into a presentation. Mm. I have had bosses who come in with aplomb, but you got to play songs like um, really dramatic ones oh, for them to walk right. in and they can own the stage. Mm. Uh, but how many people can do that, Michelle, right? Not many. Others prefer to just really rely on the facts. So their ethos, their credibility is really about the messaging they have to say. They have very uh, non-modulated voices, meaning their voice is very monotone. Uh, mm. So what we get them to do is like uh, maybe to uh, mix up their sentences in terms of sentence length, shorter sentences, longer, but basically to get the message across. And we always keep it short. Mm. Uh, so we don't end up boring the audience. Right. Uh, How short is keep it short? Um, so some people can talk <laughs> for 15-20 minutes in their address. Some bosses will tell me up front, uh, Dawn, this is not my style. Mm. I prefer for it to be short and sharp. Then for me, I'll have to think, what other points of communication or connecting with the staff or you know the crowd and audience can he have? So then we'll schedule other uh, maybe smaller scale events, uh, touch points so that they can meet over lunch or talk to the staff. But if not, it can be as short as five to seven minutes. But mm. that... It's harder actually to get a message uh, delivered Across. within seven minutes exactly than it is to have like fifteen minutes of storytelling, videos, uh, music, that sort of thing. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm I'm asking because I'm I'm speaking at this um event for a bank for thirty minutes in two days. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. I think you mentioned. Yeah, and and that's like mm, okay. I gotta deliver this. That sort of like align with what they are launching on the day as well. Plus, also sharing my journey. Plus, you know, so oh. and yeah, and you're right. Trying to squeeze to me is like squeezing two hours worth of what I usually share into right. thirty minutes. Plus, 
uh, switching it a bit to what the the bank the 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 points that the bank want me to sort of um, highlight a bit more. So, uh, but I do, um, <laughs> you know, going back to what you said just now, you know, um, coming on stage and people make a quick judgment, right? People make judgment all the time, like whether you're likable or credible. Are there things that like big no no that we shouldn't do? so that we don't lose that likability or credibility? I think to answer that question, it's important to bring in the context of like who the audience is, right? And we all know that. Mm. But I suppose I'm talking about a deeper level of um, analysis. Mm. Like if you say, um, I mean, let's face it, whether the audience is voluntarily there in itself, right? makes a whole lot of difference. Okay, yes. so I think yeah. we, we need to be aware of the nuances and also the, the takeaways. And the takeaways are tough, right, Michelle, because there are different stakeholders. That the people that hired us, likely the ones also obviously paid us. And there's really that message on the ground uh, that you want the, the audience member to walk away with. Mm. Uh, there's no pleasing both parties completely. Mm. So what we encourage is that we have a um, melting pot. Like, at least we have something for each level. Yeah. Mm. So I know there are some things I have to say because uh, management is paying me. For to, I'll be upfront. I know yeah. I have to say, I won't touch yeah. it. But I also want to, I won't say sneak in, I want to respectfully showcase and profile something else that mm. would be helpful for the audience. Mm. And I remember watching something recently. Um, this was John Maxwell, right? The very old school, but very well-established leadership guru. And he gave this example, like when you enter a room and you present, do you come in with the mindset of saying that, oh, here I am to talk to you. Mm. Like, oh, you know, so you get ready that, that immediate, there's an impact, there's an authority, but here I am. Mm. As opposed to when you look at the audience and you go like, here you are. Mm. So the focus then is very clear. Yeah, right? It's for me to reach out there and to serve that audience. So I'm very mindful about the takeaways that I can design into the presentation each time I go in for any talk. And this can be for things that I'm paid for or volunteering. Uh, because I'm fully aware that nowadays our audiences are so varied. Uh, they're not homogeneous. But if I feel that there is something in there that is of, not often talked about, mm. somebody needs to hear it. I will weave it in. Uh, so until I'm really happy that I've internalized it and I go, I need to talk about that, uh, or I want to talk about that, but will this be helpful for them? How? You know? And then uh, for if I really run out of time, then what can I do to extend their learning or their thinking about this before they can do some follow-up? So that could, you know, include uh, maybe working through the organizer to send them an info, just a very short, like, info pack, you know, or resources that they can then uh, move on to learn. And some of it can be your original content and some mm. for others. We are helping the audience, imagining mm. it in their journey and at that point in their journey, like how much more they need and what sort of discovery they want to make. Yeah. I think that that's always been helpful. I found from personal experience and from coaching. Uh, yeah. Clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's really helpful as well, and it, you you get yourself out of like me, 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 and just really focus on them. And even though you might think that, um, but how how does that change the perception of how people might think of me? But people can so I always believe that people can feel that. Yes, that sixth sense, right? About whether this person is full of themselves or whether this person <laughs> is really here to serve, and do they like that? This person really means what he or she said, and this little things, and sometimes it's not just having the perfect script. It's how you say it, little nuances here, pauses, like you mentioned just now, is a 
big study. And that's why you have this program where you you are teaching women executives and women entrepreneurs to really get the message across powerfully. So tell us a little bit more about that before we wrap up. So um, this is a, because we're a small, we're a boutique coaching consultancy, right? So I wanted to do something that was really bespoke, something that was highly customized. So Mastering Powerful Communication, this is a series. So for now, we'll be looking at presentation skills. And I think what's important is that, so the program will offer uh, four one-to-one sessions where really uh, uh, my clients will come in and we'll look at, we'll start by looking at their core, right? So their awareness, their relationship with presentations because everybody is starting at a different point and get them to hone in on that self-awareness and the message. What is it that they really want to, to send out there? So if it's for executives, then it will be helpful for professional and career development. If you're a business owner, then it is about amplifying it, your narrative and seeing it in such a way that we don't need smooth, we need credible, we want personable. But that's also dependent on the personality of my client, right? And mm. looking at your profile, what kind of style that you best adopt. So that will come in. I think the first thing I want to look at is to identify your natural style of communication and use that to help to persuade the audiences what you do. Also comes with that is a, a very personalized list of challenges. What is it that you know you, you personally find difficult? Uh, is it about, uh, some people find giving eye contact very tough. You know, because and then we also don't want to scare them off by telling them you have to give eye contact to everyone in the room. Not possible. This is very, very tough. So there are certain techniques to work around. Then we'll look at the different uh, formats. So is it an online presentation? Is it uh, face-to-face? And then we'll even come in to book a venue. Uh, we just make it small scale, but for them to be able to try it out and uh, just present, you know, so that it really is about giving you that personalized feedback in a more corporate-like setting. And for me to curate certain content capsules. So it's four hours uh, face-to-face. Uh, it can be online or you know, in person. And then followed by three capsules of uh, self-directed learning. And eventually leading to uh, that reveal, <laughs> that presentation. So here's the thing. So the class can come in with one scenario, a real case scenario that they would like mm. to work on. Because yes. that's what makes it practical. Yeah. So it could be that you have a showcase that's coming up. Or oh, I always like to tell my clients this. If I give you 15 minutes now of any stage that you would love to be on, what would you talk about? How would you say that? Mm. And then you're about to get on tech talk. (laughs) And it's frightening, right? So you don't start with like, hi, my name is Don. Most people don't. You (laughs) go into the crux of the problem, but it's 15 Mm. minutes. And to get to that 15 minutes of goal, you probably start with 15 minutes and then you whittle down, but then really like, you know, being very, very conscious of the words and the messaging, the styling of everything and designing a presentation experience around that. So that's what they'll do. And the bonus is that they get to do a, an emotional intelligence assessment, which is very helpful for them in terms of looking, self-awareness is one, self-regulation. Motivation, another big one, when we're, whether we're running businesses or, uh, you know, working for someone, uh, as well as uh, interpersonal communication. So that uh, is a particular profile that I do for all my private clients. Uh, that will help them. I think that's important. All right. Thank you so much. And yeah, I believe you have something for our audience as well, right? A little yes. video, like a little kickstart. Tell us about that. And then we will also add that in the link under this podcast or this video that you're watching. Okay. So thank tell you. us yes. about that. Right. So I've designed a one-page planner. And this is a very handy tool that will help anyone to design your presentations within 15 minutes. Okay, so when we mean uh, 15 minutes, it's really for the general framework, but that's powerful because you then you can always go back to, to that and refer to it. Uh, and it's based off a very simple acronym called CAPS. So that's about having you study the context of the presentation, your audience, what is your purpose of the presentation, 
uh, the structure, which a lot of us neglect to, to work on, as well as the last one, which is the S for sentiments. I want you to think about the emotions, right, that you want um, your audience to leave the presentation feeling and getting them to then take the call of, uh, to action on their own. So this simple uh, planner is available. Uh, it will be uh, linked to a video on YouTube on my channel as well, Life Skills for Hope. Uh, so yes, yeah, so please check out the YouTube channel for uh, you know, more information on this particular planner. You can also drop me a direct message either on LinkedIn or Instagram, and I'll be happy to send you the link as well. You can take a look and we can even schedule a 30-minute uh, call for you to talk through some of your challenges when it comes to presentation skills. That's awesome, Don. And we will sure to include all these links, um, your uh, Don's LinkedIn and whichever link that you need to reach out to <laughs> on fire, it will be included. You can just find it right under this video. Thank you so much, Don, for your time. It's been really helpful. And I think I need to go ahead and go grab that 15 minutes. <laughs> Planner. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Watch that video right before my talk this week. Thank you. Right, thank you. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review wherever you're listening. A good one, I hope. Chances are, if you found value in this episode, others would be too. You can also tag me at the Chill Mom or momboss.academy on Instagram and tell me what you like or have learned from today's episode. I love seeing how you fit my podcast into your life. Till the next time, all my best and you've got this.